For many Christians and in many environments, there is a stigma that comes with struggling. Eleven years ago at a previous church, I remember sharing publicly in a sermon that I was working through some depression and seeing a professional counselor. After service, an older man who was a retired pastor pulled me aside and quietly, really frantically, admonished me saying, never tell anyone that you're struggling or seeing a counselor. People will leave the church. You have to present yourself as a strong leader. I committed some unspoken pastoral sin in his eyes by admitting that I wasn't doing okay and that I needed some help. And for him, and maybe the time and place in which he pastored, admitting that you had a problem and were struggling was a big no-no. And I think we should be careful not to overshare, right? There is an appropriate amount of sharing we should pay attention to. That's wisdom. But it was ironic to me, and more than ironic, it was sad, that um, if he had a broken bone, there would be no stigma in going to get an x-ray and a cast. But if you were brokenhearted, if your soul was crushed, you weren't allowed to go see a doctor, at least not publicly. David says in Psalm 23 that the Lord restores his soul. The king's soul needed to be restored. Really think about that. David knew what it was like to be defeated, depressed, dejected, anxious and afraid, stressed, frustrated, confused, angry, triggered. He knew what it was like to be cast down. He experienced extraordinary failure, both in his character and in his role in governing and in his family as an aftermath of all that. David knew bitterness. David knew the experience of losing his strength. There are at least... 54 emotions expressed in the Psalms. And it's the only book of the Bible that contains the entire range of human emotions. And it's one of the things I love the most about the book of Psalms. When you're down, when you're struggling, you can go to the Psalms and find an ancient path. You can go to the Psalms to grab some handholds um, to help you process in a walk through whatever situation you're going through. You know, one of the mottos here at our church that has resonated with the most people is, it's okay to not be okay. God meets you where you are. You know, most of the people who have walked through the literal or digital doors of our church over the last nine years, those who have become a part of our church family are people who are in need of the restoration of Jesus. I was sharing this observation early on in our church's history and uh, talking um, about it. Um, I used the, uh, the image that, that we all have baggage that we carry. And afterwards, a church member said, baggage, huh? Well, we showed up with an entire matching set of luggage. And so if you're just joining us, we are taking our time to slowly walk through Psalm 23, the classic and most well-known psalm. We uh, bit off a big chunk last week, and it was really ambitious learning about uh, the first two verses, our true shepherd, who is Jesus, that we have no real reason to want if we truly have him. And we looked at how he makes us lie down for rest in green pastures, and that he intentionally leads us to quiet streams, not dangerous waters where we could drown. 
So if you missed the intro, I encourage you to um, go back to check that out on our podcast or on YouTube to kind of see how we pushed away from the dock. It's super important. Um, today, we're not going to be so uh, ambitious or as ambitious. We'll focus our attention and we're going to drill down on half of verse three, just four words in the first sentence. He restores my soul. Now, before we double click on verse three, uh, let's read the entire piece of Psalm 23 to see the landscape. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Hear the word of our Lord. If you've never memorized Psalm 23, I want to encourage you to uh, maybe memorize it. It is a wonderful thing to memorize. It's been super helpful for my mental health. And I actually play a game with this is um, whenever I put my son to bed, um, he opens his Bible to Psalm 23. He tests me and I quote it to him and he points out where I get words wrong. And besides him helping me memorize it, it's been a good thing to model to my son that, yeah, these psalms are great and you should chew on them and meditate on them and memorize them and pray them and talk about them. And so uh, maybe if you've got kids or maybe if you've got a spouse or maybe if you just, you're just you single and you've got a friend or maybe you can do it to a stuffed animal uh, if that's all you got, um, I encourage you to memorize, lean into, meditate on, pray through, chew on Psalm 23. The return on that investment is huge. So let's uh, circle back to the first half of verse three, those four words that we're gonna just uh, bask in. He restores my soul. This is an easy sentence to rush past, and yet there's so much good news in it. He restores my soul. He, it is Jesus, the chief shepherd, the good shepherd, who restores my soul. Not a substance, not a politician, not even a jury, not even a piece of legislation, although we should wrestle with those things. At the end of the day, I believe there is only one source that can bring rest and restoration to our soul. And it is the one who is the author and perfecter of our faith, the Prince of Peace, Almighty God, the one whose government is on his shoulders, the wonderful counselor, Emmanuel, God with us. It is Jesus more than anything, our good shepherd, the author and perfecter of our faith, the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Lamb of God. You get the point. It is him, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, 
It is him who restores our soul. And we often look everywhere for restoration but him. The soul is in desperate need of restoration. Even in days like today, years like we've had, months like we've had, decades like we've had, maybe your entire life has been hard. Our soul needs restoration. What I want to point out to you is this is King David writing. And while he did do some terrible things, he was called a man after God's heart. He wrote much of the Psalms, and in case you didn't know, Psalms was the prayer book of Israel. It was the first book of common prayer. It was the book of common prayer 1.0. And Psalms is, was also the number one book Jesus quoted from. David, who, whom Jesus often quoted, admits that his soul needs to be restored. And so if you're struggling with struggling, if you're struggling with admitting that your soul needs restoration and care, maybe seeing David's example will give you permission to admit that, you, that your soul needs restoration too. Now to understand these four words, we have to go to another psalm to really figure out what David means when he talks about his soul being restored. In Psalm 42, another classic psalm, David writes, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. If you're missing gathering together in a big building and hearing hundreds of people singing the praise of God, you can relate to David right now who is outcast out in the field, missing the days where he could be in the temple in the presence of God and in the praise of God's people. If you miss corporately gathering together, as I do, and, and even as you're watching this and you go, man, worship isn't just the same. Yeah, but listen, you can sit with David in this and say, oh, how I miss when we would go with the multitude keeping the festival. Now, here's the point of this psalm. Here we go. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? It's interesting that he speaks to his soul. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Now, David notices that his soul is cast down. That's super important for you to understand here. His soul is cast down. Why are you cast down, O my soul, he says. But in, in chapter 23, he says that God restores his soul and that verse, those four words we're looking at in Psalm 23, doesn't really scream of sheep imagery to us Americans. But if you take this verse in Psalm 42, verse 5, and the one in Psalm 23, verse 3, we can see the combined hints in the combined shepherding imagery. The soul is cast down, and the good shepherd restores the soul. As it turns out, the term cast down 
is a term you use for a sheep who has fallen over and can't get up. Kind of like Steve Urkel. If a sheep has fallen down, it's on its backside, feet in the air. It starts frantically trying to stand up, but it can't, and it is stuck. It's cast down. The cast down sheep becomes vulnerable and can die within hours if the shepherd doesn't notice and restore the sheep to their feet and to the flock. This is the imagery David the shepherd is painting with when he refers to his soul being cast down. That's a sheep metaphor. If a shepherd is, is a good is a good one, uh, not just in terms of like he's good instead of evil, but if he's good as incompetent, if he's like a really good shepherd who's good at his job, the good shepherd will constantly watch his flock to see if any sheep have been cast down. The Lord is my shepherd, and he's your shepherd, and he is watching and noticing when your soul and when my soul is cast down. But it is not just the shepherd who is watching the flock for a cast-down sheep. Predators do the same. Predators watch the flock too. Wolves and buzzards and um, dogs and coyotes and cougars. They all watch the flock and they pounce and they take advantage of a sheep that has been cast down. Now, here's why the stigma of being cast down or struggling or whatever is silly. It's silly because the reality is that any sheep at any moment can become cast down. Being cast down isn't an indictment on you, and it isn't a knock on your identity. Unfortunately, you know, you're already a sheep. That's the metaphor. And so it's not like we have a lot going for us as sheep, as we outlined last week. But even if you're sheep, the strongest and healthiest sheep aren't exempt from being cast down. They can become a casualty too. And this is what my retired pastor friend didn't understand is that there's no need for a stigma. You're already a sheep in need of a good shepherd. If you're cast down, don't get cast down for being cast down. That's unproductive. Shame and guilt and self-pity aren't your friends here or ever. If you're cast down, the only thing that matters is getting restored to your feet and to the flock by your shepherd. That's the only thing that matters. I learned from an actual shepherd that there are some common ways sheep get cast down. And one surprising way that sheep get cast down is when they look for a soft spot in the ground to sit down on and in to rest. They'll look for a comfortable divot or like depression in the ground, kind of like a cradle. And um, the sheep might sit down there and after a while they might move around and roll and stretch to relax and get comfy, kind of like you would do maybe in your bed. But because sheep have a high center of gravity, um, if the center of gravity shifts in the body, the sheep can roll over uncontrollably to where their feet are no longer touching the ground. And when this happens, they start to panic and they get stuck on their back there, cast down. They're literally uh, down in the dirt and can't go anywhere, Steve Urkel style. Um, soon, they start to lose blood circulation and gases start to form in, in the rumen and the stomach. And on a hot, dry day, a cast-down sheep can die within hours. And th the lesson here is, is when sheep look for a soft spot in comfort, it can sometimes lead to being cast down. 
as followers of Jesus, we do the same. Um, and, and there's some nuance here, okay? So this isn't like um, binary. Um, I, I'm not talking about rest or Sabbath or anything like that because our soul needs rest and God commands us to rest and to sit down and to rest and have Sabbath and all those things. But, 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 some, but different than that, sometimes we can choose the easy thing. We can choose the easy button. We can choose the broad way. We can choose self-preservation instead of dying to self, or we can um, refuse to carry our cross or die to ourself. We, we often shy away from giving and sacrifice and anything that, that, that hurts us. Often, the cozy, the comfortable, the insulated position, where there is no suffering, where there is no hardship, where there is no pain, leads us to being cast down. And maybe that's one reason why the scriptures teach us to rejoice when we suffer. Another way sheep get cast down is by having too much wool. They're carrying around too much and the wool becomes long and heavy and the wool can catch on things and trip them up. Wool in the scriptures is a metaphor for the old self-life, the flesh where we live for ourselves instead of living for Christ. It's the reason why, if you know the Old Testament well, um, priests weren't allowed to wear wool when they went into the Holy of Holies. It was a representation of the self, of the self-life. Some of us, we have a lot of wool. We have a lot of self. We have a lot of what the scriptures call the flesh, that, that life before God. Uh, the flesh is, for starters, the lust of the eyes and the pride of the heart, the love of the world, the addiction to the approval of man or woman. Every now and then, we need the shepherd to come to us with his shears and remove from us the things weighing us down the things tripping us up, the things that are holding us back, that wool, that self-life, that flesh, that selfishness, that self-centeredness, that pride, that arrogance. The sheep don't like to be sheared. But once a sheep is freed from the excess wool that is weighing it down, both the sheep and the shepherd are happy. Uh, Philip Keller, who's an actual shepherd and a pastor, um, wrote on this. It's hard to improve on, so I'll just read it to you. He said, Often I would go out early and merely cast my eyes across the sky. If I saw the black-winged buzzards circling overhead in their long, slow spirals, anxiety would grip me, leaving everything else I would immediately go out in the rough wild pastures and count the flock to make sure everyone was well and fit and able to be on its feet. This is part of the pageantry and drama depicted for us in the magnificent story of the 99 sheep with one astray. There is the shepherd's deep concern, his agonizing search, his longing to find the missing one, and his delight in restoring it, not only to its feet, but also to the flock and as well to himself. 
when God put on flesh and came and walked among us. He sought out and spent time with those who were cast down and cast out. Those who thought they had God figured out, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, those in the religious system, um, they had a problem with this, and they grumbled and complained that he was spending time with sinners and the sick, and they were jealous that the sinners and the sick really liked Jesus and responded well to him. Jesus responded to their grumbling by telling a trilogy. Three stories that make up one big story. And that trilogy is found in Luke 15. It's the trilogy of lost things, the lost sheep, as uh, Philip Keller was, was um, painting for us, the lost coin and the lost son. And I love that picture of God in Luke 15. Many people have this false belief that when they fall, when they are cast down, that God is somehow frustrated with them or disgusted with them or fed up with them. That's why there's a stigma to struggling with being cast down. But if you're cast down, if you're facing a spiritual dilemma, if you're depressed or angry or delusioned, or deconstructing, or doubting, or questioning, or triggered, or exhausted, if you're crying out, how long, O Lord? Or if you're praying, why are you cast down on my soul? Whoever you are, however you are, the gospel news, the good news for you is that God is not disgusted with you. He's not fed up with you. He's not even furious with you. Like a good shepherd, he loves you. He watches over you and he cares for you as a shepherd cares for a sheep who is cast down in need of restoration. He restores my soul. The greatest revelation Jesus gives us is that God is the God who runs to those who are cast down. He is near the brokenhearted. A broken and contrite heart he won't refuse. A smoldering wick he won't snuff out. A bruised reed he will not break. He'll leave the 99 to go save the one, and then there will be a party. This is the Lord, the good shepherd, who restores your soul. That's his character. Jesus is your good shepherd, if you'll allow it. If Jesus can sit patiently with Nicodemus, the Pharisee, and explain what it means to be born from above by the Spirit, if he had enough compassion for the religious idiots of the day to say, woe to you, holding a mirror up to them, giving them a chance to repent of their sin, if he had the patience to lovingly and tenderly restore Peter after his betrayal and denial, if he had the time to meet with Thomas where Thomas was and to show Thomas his scars so that Thomas would believe. If Jesus had the tender love for Mary to say her name in such a way that she'd see he wasn't the gardener on Resurrection Sunday. If he had the audacity to confront Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus transforming him into the apostle to the Gentiles, then Jesus has the good heart of a shepherd 
for you? Are you cast down? It's okay if you are. What's not okay is lying about it. <laughs> are you cast down? It doesn't matter how you got there. Are you cast down? In what ways are you cast down? How is your soul today? It doesn't matter how you got on your back with your legs in the air. It really doesn't matter why you're frantic and in fear. That's where you're at. It's okay. That's your reality, and that's where God meets you. That's the starting line, is your reality. God will meet you. He will restore you. He will bring restoration and rest to your soul. However, what I would like to stress is that you have to consent to it. You have to allow the loving hands of Jesus to wrap you and tilt you back up. You have to allow the shears to come and remove away um, the wool that is weighing you down. You have to allow the shepherd to come and um, lead you into appropriate places to find comfort and rest in green pastures. He's a gentleman. He stands at the door and knocks, but he doesn't kick the door down. God will meet you, um, but you have to consent to it. Would you allow Jesus to hug you, to restore you to your feet, to the flock, and most importantly to himself? Will you allow Jesus to bring new life into your heart? Will you allow Jesus to remove the scales from your eyes? As he did Paul, maybe you're like Peter and you have done the unthinkable. Would you allow Jesus to make breakfast for you and to restore you? He'd love to. But I encourage you to, you know, surrender and consent to it. Jesus, we thank you that that is who you are, that is your heart, that's your disposition to us. And oh, how that is not our experience in this world and in our families at times and even in churches. God, give us the courage to admit to where we are, to refuse fear, to refuse shame, to refuse guilt. Overwhelm us, God, with your kindness. Overwhelm us with your presence. Lord, I specifically pray for those right now who feel like they're hanging on by a thread. They are down in the dirt. They are cast down on their backs. Jesus, meet them in this moment and reveal to them who you really are. And God, I ask that you would either calm the storm or calm them in the storm. We look to you for the true restoration of our souls. It's in your precious name we pray these things. Amen.